<laughs> Sturgeon, Nicholas Sturgeon. Jimmy Cranky. I'd just like to see a definition of Scottish nationalism that isn't based on hatred of English. English. Because <laughs> that, that seems to be the only thing that unifies them. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Tom, Dick and Still No Hyman show. Might have to change the name. <laughs> but what about the merchandising? We've got a full house here for this episode, ladies and gentlemen. Joining me today, as always, is Tim. Hello. How are you doing, Tim? Good. Also on the show today, welcoming back, Cameron. Oh. Oh, you're eating at the moment. Yeah, you're just eating. <laughs> you not eat for one right, minute. I'll do you? Anthony. Along with Tim, on today's show, we've got Anthony. What's up? How you doing, Antoine? Pretty good. And last but not least, Cameron. Oh, sorry. Right. Yeah. Hi. Hi, everybody. Good to be back. Thank you. Hi, me. It's a real natural flow of conversation, isn't it? It is. It's just when people look at me expecting some kind of witty repartees. Oh, we never should know that. that. We never yeah, exactly. that. <laughs> <laughs> On this episode, we'll be reviewing Ridley Scott's second attempt at rebooting the Alien franchise. But kicking us off, it's an uninspiring and perhaps unnecessary general election. just chaired a meeting of the cabinet where we agreed that the government should call a general election to be held on the 8th of june you're joking not another one oh for god's sake i can't honestly i can't stand this there's too much politics going on at the moment why does she need to do it so brenda from bristol there asking the question why does she have to do it why are we having another general election? Let's go through all the kind of politics things that have been happening lately, right? In 2014, you had the Scottish independence referendum. In 2015, only two years ago, you already had a general election where the Tories somehow pulled out a win. 2016, you had the EU referendum. That was a big one. No? Okay. <laughs> well, no, it was, obviously. Yeah. And then, of course, later that year, Donald Trump, the earth-shattering news that the madman is in the White House... And now, in 2017, a general election again, even though we only had one two years ago. There's two main reasons for doing it. One of them, like, being the primary reason. She wants to consolidate her power, because she is quite popular in the eyes of the media and the public portrayal. The other one being that she wants to kind of strengthen the political standing that the UK has when representing itself uh, in front of you to negotiate. Do you guys agree with Brenda from Bristol that there's too much politics at the moment? Well, no, I no, think she's no. a bit of a pleb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We it's wouldn't like, be doing this show if we didn't like politics. Politics, politics is basically your life, whereby it's governing everything you in the, the country. So you should class. really have an interest yeah. in it. The direction As opposed of humanity. To, oh, I just want to watch Coronation Street. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which she probably thinks is real. But like, as you were going through the list of all those events, there's no way you can schedule those things. They were things that needed to be dealt with, like, you know, Scottish independence or EU referendum. Yeah. You can't just paste those things out and they came up. So, yeah, Bre- Brenda came up in quick succession, though, right? They did, but how could you have engineered it any other way? Yeah, Bre- Bre- Brenda's one of those people who sort of thinks it's cool to, like, not know anything and. Be, be cynical. Bit, be a bit cynical and stupid. But but yeah. like I said, she she thought she was being cool, but it's it's not cool anymore. I think politics has become mainstream and exciting again because whereas before it was quite staid and boring, we do have people like Donald Trump and Nigel Farage being very provocative and saying things in public that politicians don't normally say. It's become more more engaged with the public, not less. It's exciting for kind of the wrong reasons. Fuck though, you, right? Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, Donald Trump has obviously turned out to be a complete wild card. You have no idea what he's going to do. He's oh, completely yeah. inept. He's a loose cannon. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. It's that. And he is, he's 70 now. And you know, you know, dementia. He, he might not do two terms simply because it, the old uh, grey matter nah, might not. Okay, if you watch clips of him on YouTube from like the 80s and 90s, his brain is a lot more there than it is now like he can yeah. actually form coherent sentences whereas <laughs> now it's just like uh, my my intelligence is the best it's really the best it's, <laughs> it's really really the best yeah he can't he can't flow in any kind of way when he's talking it's a short short sharp sentences and he's got small hands do you think maybe rather than it's too much politics it's the fact that politics is really depressing and kind of drab at the moment well in this country it always kind of has been I mean, it's America that gives you the ritz and the glitz, but here I, you know, respect it more for being more, you know, formal. That's why we like, we, uh, we're interested in American politics because it's oh, such it's a spectacle. It is, like, exactly. Yeah. Are we're you guys excited then for a general election? Are you up for it? Um, well, yeah, it's not that much effort involved, really. Yeah, it is going I, I, like I marking up, a ballot. I tick some shit. Do you feel the pressure well up? Do you feel it well up in your bladder, just well, from the surroundings? Sunny wells in my bladder, because it just reminds me of going into central yeah. London in those kind of, like, ritual pissing pots. Oh, yeah. You know? The ones you're getting set, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They got Where rid of got them. got men rutting around, just pissing. The open-air urinals. <laughs> Licking around. It's a shame, it's a good idea. trying to make eye contact with someone as they're pissing, because that really makes people uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Off topic. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> But I mean, do you want us to become like a kind of Southern European country where we just have elections every couple of years? We have about 40 different leaders in 20 years. Well, in, in a way, if, if democracy becomes more direct, then uh, by nature, like I've always imagined in the future when everyone's got the Internet, we'll all vote on a Saturday night. <laughs> on policies <laughs> and it will be done electronically and uh, yeah, you'll get new leaders every year. <laughs> do you remember back in 1997, new Labour... <laughs> After 18 years of Tory rule, Labour Party get elected. And do you remember it was, there was kind of a feeling of optimism and there was real talk about being aspirational and looking forward to the future. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that song. Things will only get better. They'll only get better. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. But what happened to that? Where did those... It doesn't feel like that now, does it? Well, no, because that, 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 that particular administration has sort of left as a legacy uh, an, an illegal war and un unchecked immigration, which changed the, the country drastically. But that's that covered. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the electorate... Do you want Tony Blair back? Yeah. No, what? Let's give no, him another chance. No. He's trying. He's learned. He's learned from his mistake. He never apologised. That's why no one forgave him. He, 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 he would never back wrong. down. Well, that would perjure him and he'd be in the international court. Complete lack of contrition for the Iraq war. That's true. But for most things, he was too, he's just too self-assured. I think there was always a feeling that... I don't know. Well, he said he was guided by God. Because Alistair Campbell obviously <laughs> said... This like, voice spoke to me every night. Because <laughs> when he was pressed about it, Alistair Campbell obviously said, we don't do God, New Labour doesn't do God. But then afterwards, Tony Blair converted to Catholicism, I think. Yeah, and God struck down Alistair Campbell with crippling mental... Obnoxiousness. <laughs> <laughs> do you think the electorate are like more angry these days or more depressed? At what? pissed off just in general with MPs. No, I, I say the electorate I think there's very a definite happy. air of resentment. What was that, Tim? Sorry? Happy. I'd say all the people who wanted Brexit and got it and didn't really expect it but got it were like pleasantly surprised and reminded of yeah, the, June, the beauty of democracy. June 24th was a good day. The sun came out. You know, for me, that was like made me happy. That was politics making me happy. And I think there's a lot of people like me who feel like that. 
Remain voters? <laughs> <laughs> How do we feel about Because I'll be honest, I'll contradict him a little bit. For Leave voters, it's paranoia right now. We're still a little bit paranoid that it's like some way, somehow it's going to get blocked. Parliament are going to block it somehow. Yeah, I want to get stuck into these negotiations slash preparation for walking out. So you can go back to shouting xenophobic slogans across the channel. No, it's just get back to business. <laughs> you frog-eating fuck. Just get back to business trading with the rest of the world. It's a bit in limbo at the moment. Tom's right. Do we feel like our MPs are actually competent enough? Can we trust MPs with anything? I th- I think, yes. I think compared to like the rest of the world, we, we do pretty well, actually. Best parliament in the world. You know, they're not like sort of despots. There isn't too much sort of nepotism, you know, relatives. Oh, there is. Well, no, well, look, look, look at America where Donald Trump has appointed Jared Kushner to his mm. cabinet. That sort of stuff wouldn't happen over here just because someone's your son-in-law. Yeah, you'd the best like your son-in-law would get would be like a secretary, like a PA position. Yeah, there's a lot of that that goes on. They, they sort of do take some money off us, don't they? And sort of expensive dinners and moats for their duck, <laughs> duck castles. <laughs> Yeah, uh, surely that was a low point yeah. for people's views yeah. of MPs at the that expenses point. expenses scandal. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys are basically disagreeing with me then. About what, what part? About that, like, politics is depressing right now. It's kind of hard to envision a positive future. Like, almost every... Like, when you read, like, newspapers, The Guardian and what have you, like, the op-ed columns about what's going to happen in the next couple of years, like, it's all negative and depressing. That is true. But, I mean, the thing is, I think if you are a Remain voter, and particularly you agree with the economic arguments, then it's hard not to think that England's going to be going through a pretty bad time soon. Yeah, even Leave voters accepted it's going to be bad yeah, in the short Yeah, a lot time. of people, yeah, exactly, who would leave, basically said, okay, yeah, well, I know we're going to take a hit, but, you know, for whatever reasons, political reasons, it's the right thing to do. Ideological reasons. Ide- more ideological, yeah. So, I mean, in a way, it's, you know, makes sense that people are going to be looking forward to the future with some trepidation. Yeah. Can I just say, I think the economic argument, though, is, is very short-termist. If you just go back a few years when there was the last economic crisis, which everyone agrees now was caused by the bankers, mm. and we, we bailed out well, the Well, except the bankers, they blamed it on poor people. Okay. <laughs> so if, if, if you look what happened in the EU, the way they had to deal with that crisis was if, if something like that happens again, and it will happen again because there are capitalist economies are always cyclical it's boom and bust so there is we are due another bust before long people might blame it on brexit or it could just be but at least like i say if we go down that's the crazy thing europe will go down as well because they're, they're so dependent on, 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 on well, our globalization isn't it on if our, a major economy goes down yeah. it's going to take and to be honest with you the, the sort of moods and current trends i don't think the actual money is is going to leave london like the banking into system there have been in quite a few companies that have said they're going to move a couple of banks have said like quite big think, banks as well and even like, if it's only a thousand employees if mm. they're people that earn 150k a year that has quite a big effect mm. anyway getting off topic general election theresa may brenda asked the question cameron why has theresa may called an election now only two years after the last one well one she wants to consolidate her power because she's, she's only got quite a small popular only a small majority at the moment, the Tories. Oh, yeah, but from her past two years, she's been like, you know, she's done everything that she said so far, and she's giving people Brexit, which is what they want. And the other Brexit means, means what? Brexit. Oh, yeah, strong. <laughs> oh, strong and stable Brexit now. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> strong and stable. But uh, mm. do you, yeah, that was the narrative that came out almost straight away in the press was that she's called the election so that she can get more seats, a stronger, like a bigger majority in Parliament, which will then 
somehow strengthen her hand in the EU negotiations. Now, I don't understand, like, it doesn't make Britain in any, it doesn't put Britain in a stronger position. The fact that Theresa May has a bigger majority in Parliament well, in yeah. terms of the negotiation with the EU. But isn't it up to Theresa May who attends those meetings? Yeah, she's already appointed. Like, yeah. David Davis, Liam yeah. Fox. Yeah, so I'd rather have Liam Bojo. Fox and David Davis instead of Diane Abbott and can David, who else? Some other idiot. Ken Lipner. <laughs> <laughs> but her actually having more of a majority wouldn't help her in any particular way, though, in the negotiations. No, not in the negotiations. Unless an EU bureaucrat gives a cares whether the more english people support it or not they don't care it's more about just hashing out a deal they're not going to respect her more just because yeah, she's got exactly. a bigger mandate she does need the people behind her if it gets really serious and bad and it gets to like economic and military sanction do you think it's a convenient timing that had she stuck to the original 2020 that would have been the point that the negotiations with the eu would have come to an end and we'd know where we are on brexit and if it had gone really bad as bad as like someone like Ian Dunt has predicted, in the run-up to the 2020 general election, the Tories would get the blame for that. And so I imagine they would have got wiped out of that election. So the fact that she's called it now, she gets an extra five years. That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. But that's... So even if Brexit does go really badly, at least she's still in po- she still gets to govern for another three years or so. Does that make sense, I guess? It does, although it would have been, considering she herself was a Remain voter, and I'm not sure, would she have been blamed? The Tories would have been. Well, you're right. Yeah, I guess the, the Tories in general probably would have been. The to- they would have blamed us, Leave voters, and we would have blamed the Tories. That's how it would have gone. That's how it might go. Right. One reason I think Theresa May has called the election now, Nicola Sturgeon for the last several months has been needling Theresa May about lacking a mandate as Prime Minister, lacking a mandate for Brexit. And I think that got under Theresa May's skin a little bit, actually. I think she was happy to call an election so that she could shove it in Nicola Sturgeon's face. Like, there's my mandate, bitch. Do you know what I mean? But surely just the fact that when your opponent is weakest, it's probably the best time to strike as well. And like Labour being in not in a great place. I mean, you're not going to get an easier opponent, really. Even if Labour lose, and I, I think there's a chance they might win, Corbyn, there'll be a leadership challenge almost immediately. Even what, though. even if Labour win? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, they won't win. They won't win. Okay. So there's going to be a leadership challenge in Labour, which is going to sort of disperse the party even more because Corbyn has this massive bedrock of support from actual Labour Party members, the people mm. who voted him in. Um, so that they, I reckon if they did another vote on the Labour leadership, Corbyn would win it again. He would, his mandate wouldn't be as big. As well, it was the then, last time around. But do you remember his, it, it grew because lots of people joined up? Well, a lot of Corbynistas have left. Uh, like I know someone who joined the Labour Party because they liked Jeremy Corbyn. But then all the infighting in the Labour Party turned them off politics altogether. <laughs> and they left the Labour Party. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I imagine like, they're probably not unique. I think there's quite a few people who joined because of Corbyn. And then it didn't really work out. And they just, yeah, whatever, fuck it. Another reason. The Tory government the last couple of years... They've had some just a whole string of embarrassing U-turns where they haven't been able to get what was in David Cameron's 2015 Tory manifesto through. And I think Theresa May's desperate to try and get away from his uh, manifesto, David Cameron's. And this what is kind a of good things chance. Is, is she trying to get away from? Apart the, the triple lock. Not raising any sort of income tax. Not raising VAT. I think they said something about uh, George Osborne's I'm going to have a budget surplus of like 20 billion, something ridiculous that he was never, ever going to hit. Because obviously the Tories made this 2015 manifesto thinking what everyone thought then, 
we're not going to win. We're not going to get a majority. It's going to be another hung parliament. We're going to be part of a coalition. And so we're not going to be tied down to this manifesto at all. And of course, Cameron was tied down to it. We had the EU referendum. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't supposed to happen. Just like Trump wasn't supposed to happen. Just like Corbyn isn't supposed to happen. That's what I think. He might be a sort of a cosmic wild card here. And at the 11th hour, everyone will go, what the fuck? The markets will plummet. Russia will invade. The political nature, it's, it's not going to work. But we live in an age of chaos now. That's, that's, that's what I think. Yeah. Not really. Things are... Yeah, a lot of the anti-establishment candidates we're the safest in Europe. now than we ever have been in human history, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah the fact Le Pen didn't win, that, that may be all right. But the French are a nation of cowards as well. Yeah. What were you going to say? <laughs> no, I was just going to say some of the worries were the anti-establishment parties, obviously Le Pen, and also in Van Wilder's party. In is it Van Wilder? Yeah, never. <laughs> no, no, part, get, party get, liaison. Get invited. Get invited. Yeah, not the party animal. Yeah. <laughs> He'd definitely get in. <laughs> but yeah, Cameron mentioned that Theresa May's opposition is incredibly weak at the moment, and the polls were showing that the Tories have a twenty-point lead over Labour. Labour's brought that closer. I think it's down to about 13, 14 points now. But I reference once again the YouGov poll that asked British electorate, who do you think would make a better prime minister, Theresa May or Jeremy Corbyn? And Jeremy Corbyn comes third behind, I don't know. <laughs> third place out of a two-horse race. <laughs> like, there isn't anything... That in itself isn't conclusive, though, because you could arguably say maybe the people are more concerned about the general politics or the general ideology rather than the personality appeal. Yeah, an unreconstructed Trotskyist 80s lefty pinko. I do think he gets a lot of stuff from them. Like, he gets more harassment in the media than I think than most other political leaders. I agree with that. I agree that there's definitely, the BBC in particular are not impartial when it comes to Labour and the Tories. They give the Tories almost a free pass. And I'll give you an example, like Labour's manifesto came out and all the press were talking about, has it been costed? Has it been costed? Blah, 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 right? That was a number one question. And then Tory manifesto comes out. There's no costings in it whatsoever. And no, no one in the press says anything about it other than, oh, isn't it kind of weird that like there's energy caps and someone like uh, appointing an employee to the board of directors that's not tory like but it is it is it's generally understood that the conservatives want to keep this line of austerity and trying to pay off our 75 trillion pound deficit or however much it is whereas labor wants to spend 45 trillion <laughs> on nationalizing mime groups everything mime groups for um battersea guide dogs <laughs> Just to entertain them while they're being fed, like they do little minds. <laughs> Sounds like a good cause. So the general consensus is <laughs> Labour are going to lose this election and they're going to lose big. They might lose anywhere between like 50 and 100 seats in Parliament. And like here's Labour MP Helen Goodman. I was, where... was going to ask you, who's that? Who the, who the hell is she? <laughs> well, she's a Labour MP for which constituency? I don't know. I've never heard of her before. But she was on a ITV News and here she kind of makes it clear what Labour's position is going into this general election. I don't think that this election is about changing the uh, uh, the government. I think <laughs> this on, election. That's what election's about, isn't it? I think this election is about preventing the Tories from getting such an overwhelming majority that there is no possibility of dissent in this country. Yeah, so basically it's just all about damage control, really. Surely she's a bit maverick. She's gone a bit maverick there. 
gone a bit rogue. That's not a party line, right, Charlie? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, though. That's the campaign slogan. <laughs> it's not about changing the government. <laughs> it's about pissing Theresa. I don't know. I, I, I've, I've been voting for over, like, half my adult life now, and I actually quite like the idea of living under a dictatorship. Just try it for a while. You know, give four years, thankfully, because of our mechanism, we can always vote vote them out. I'd like to see what a really strong, powerful government with no opposition could do. Let's <laughs> let's just take the brakes off for a few years, see what happens. <laughs> oh, you what Tory dictatorship, one party nation? Yeah. Oh, geez. Only for four years, it always change. <laughs> so Labour don't have particularly high aspirations here then i think that'd be safe to say that's just one person though isn't it? it's one politician well, it was a bad start i mean labor starting from a bad position of no one thinks we're going to win this anyway then diane abbott labor's diane abbott i don't think there's been an election cycle that she's been a part of where she didn't have a car crash interview i know i almost feel like whenever you say diane abbott you should put like um trigger warning inverted commas around her name because it's She's almost like a walking meme that, like, <laughs> her, her idiocy dehumanises her. Do, do you think opinion. she's, um, like, she looks like her own spitting image, like if there were a spitting image. It's the arrogance of the woman. It's the arrogance of the woman. It's like, she knows that she's completely unprepared for the questions, and she just doesn't give a fuck. But here's what I'll say in favour of Diane Abbott. Someone has to go out there and stump for Jeremy Corbyn, like the actual <laughs> party leader rather than just the party. And it's Diane Abbott, right? Someone's got to do it. I heard he stumped her a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> But this is her on uh, LBC with Nick Ferrari talking about Labour's proposal to have 30,000 new police officers. So how much would 10,000 police officers cost? Well, um, if we recruit the 10,000 police uh, men and women over a four-year period, we believe it'll be about £300,000. £300,000? Sorry, 10,000 police officers? What are you saying? <laughs> no, I mean... Sorry. Is that 2 hour? They will cost... They will... It will cost... <laughs> um, about £80 million. Pounds. About £80 million? Yeah. Pounds. Right. How do you get to that figure? And we're looking at both what average police wages are generally, but also specifically police wages. But if you, if you, I don't understand. That was waffle. That was waffle. Divide eighty million by ten thousand. You get eight thousand. <laughs> what we're Is that what you're going to pay these policemen? <laughs> <laughs> about um, uh, an, a, a process over four years. I don't understand. <laughs> what, what what is he or she get? Eighty million. Uh, divided by 10,000 it was 8,000 uh, uh, you get the point yeah, yeah. Nick Ferrari basically continues to just drill her over the figures now, the only consolation for Diane Abbott is that she wasn't the only Labour MP having a hard time of it Nick Ferrari gave Shadow Education Secretary Angela Rayner a hard time over about classroom sizes you don't prep for Nick Ferrari interview you deserve what you get <laughs> The Labour Party is very keen to reduce class sizes to under 30 for five, six and seven-year-olds. Why is that important? Well, the last Labour government managed to achieve this for the younger class sizes and it's transformative because if the class sizes are too big, then children are either, the children that are, you know, not, not as loud as others will get lost in the system or those that have behavioural problems will not get the support that they need. Good. We know that the evidence is that class, uh, class sizes over 30 do affect the attainment and the learning for all children 
children in the classroom. So it's important for the outcomes for children to make sure they get the education they deserve. How many children are we talking about? How many children are taught in classes that size? Well, there's, there's different, there's variants in terms of class sizes over 30, and those that there's even some that are over 40, to be quite honest what, what with you, and it's quite a substantial... What, what number of pupils are we talking about? Well, there's quite a substantial amount of, p of pupils that are... I haven't got the numbers on me at hand, Nick, but it is quite a substantial... Right. So at least she was honest. ...of pair, uh, children that are, co that well, are in are, class are sizes that are, are over 30 about, now. Are we, uh, Angela Rayner, are we talking about 50 children, 5,000 children, 5 million children? I mean, how many are we talking about? It's a significant number. It's not 5,000 <laughs> or 5,000. It's no, significant. You, you said that three times. Do you not think it would be an idea to have a sense of how many children we're talking about? You are the Shadow Education Secretary. <laughs> Yeah, well, I do have a sense of that, but <laughs> so I don't could have you to give me, so Could you give me the number then? It's cringe, isn't it? It's cringe. Yeah. Like, why do... Why is no one there with, like, a sheet of paper yeah. that has the numbers on it that they well, Why has she not been thoroughly prepped? If oh, you yeah. want to be... And if you want to be in charge of that, why don't you make it your fucking business to know? Yeah. To be fair, I didn't think that was as bad as the Diane Abbott. No. Uh, the thing about Diane Abbott is, like, she, you literally could say, here in her voice when she came up with 80 million, she literally just pulled that number out of yeah, the air. Yeah, but the thing which is, is more worrying. Ferrari has a track record, though. Both of them should have known better. But the Tories don't really have the equivalent of that. No, they've, they've got Boris instead, who, like, goes to Sikh temples <laughs> and says, you know, we'll all be able to bring in more alcohol to India now because of Brexit. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, his fuck-ups are kind of innocuous, though. More often than not, like, knocking over a Japanese kid, mm. getting yeah. stuck on the tripwire. It's part of his whole character. This is Boris. But He's an oath. Yeah, but the problem is, is while he can get away with certain things, certain slip-ups, it also means that no one ever takes him seriously. Uh, he yeah. has been consistently quite lucky. Yeah. Except actually, you know, you know, winning the Brexit vote, which is clearly what he didn't want to happen. So <laughs> he looked really disappointed the day actually. He couldn't believe it. Yeah, he's like, oh, probably knew he'd uh, have to go into a leadership contest. The only cringy thing from the Tories was Theresa May and her husband Philip going on the one show for what was quite an awkward, stiff, wooden interview. Weird. They struggled to look human. It was an attempt to try to make them more human. Because she's a very robotic woman, which I think is more down to nerves uh, than uh, yeah, being a lizard person. A <laughs> <laughs> meat suit wasn't fitting very well that day. There's, there's give and take in every marriage, isn't of course. there? Yeah. I, I get to decide when I take the bins out, not if I take the bins out. <laughs> Cuck. No, I mean, of there's course. Boy jobs and girl jobs, you see. Boy jobs and girl jobs. Just going to stop that there. I couldn't believe people tried to make something out of that. The idea when Theresa May said, oh, there's boys' jobs and girls' jobs. Like, some people on the left were like, oh, how retrograde, how reactionary. And it's like, all right, look, if you if you have a household where you and your girlfriend or wife or whatever, right, where you have the rotor system where you're e evenly doing the house chores, good for you. But why does every house have to be like that? Why can't they be a little bit more, I guess, Christian traditionalist? It's not even Christian. What they are. It's just like natural rhythms, isn't it? It's like... The, the lady will like do the ironing and the clothes and the guy will like take you, out the bins and do the gutters and all you, un, you unplug you she unplug the toilet that you blocked up in the first place ladies do clean stuff men do dirty stuff <laughs> and, <it's> sort of, <laughs> and in large quantities and you know they sort of, they sort of mix together big mouthfuls that's what it is like, you know yeah. <laughs> should we have more awkwardness from yes. Philip and Theresa oh, yes, May yes please please I was taught by my parents is whatever job you're doing, just get on and do your best in that mm -hmm, job. Mm -hmm. And that's how I've approached everything in my career. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what I 
was doing. But so of I, course, sorry. Well, I knew you were interested in politics, but yeah. I, I never heard Theresa say she wanted to be prime minister until mm-hmm. you know until she was well established in, in you know in the shadow cabinet. Mm-hmm. You know, there isn't really <laughs> a downside, but obviously, if you're the kind of man who expects his, his tea to be on the table at six o'clock every evening. Mm. You could be a little bit disappointed. No. Do you make the tea? From time to time. From time to time. <laughs> just try to give Theresa as much support as mm. I possibly can, Matt. I think that's that's just really important. I mean, it is, it's obviously a very tough job. There are a lot yeah. of tough decisions. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of things that, you know, you really have to work very hard at as PM. And I think I'm there to give Theresa as much support as I possibly can. Just the way she's she's always given well, me support. Well, I was going to say, it's, cause it's, it's yeah. a two-way, two-way street. Yeah. It's that's a two-way street, yes. absolutely. Mm. From their, it wasn't cringeworthy, that wasn't it was just bad, boring. No, from, from their yeah. body language, <laughs> you can see they still have a very active They've sex life. They've got a normal, <laughs> normal relationship in a very prim and proper I was going to say, <laughs> they sound like they basically don't ever see yeah. each other during the day. Um, I, yeah, yeah. I'm acquainted with her. <laughs> and this is I see her from time life. to time. She leaves me food. <laughs> Theresa May. Oh, I was yeah. <laughs> mm. Okay, what about... Theresa May was accused of being very robotic-like during this election campaign. And that was for one major reason. Can you think of two words that are strongly associated with Theresa May during this election campaign? What would those two words be? Strong and stable. Almost like um, like an air hostess. Yeah. Teas and coffees. Coffees and teas. Strong and stable economy. Stable and strong government. But it is, <laughs> it's it's, it's but, easy to remember. But it is a bit like an air hostess. She basically says, like, if you just put your trust in my hands, I'll yeah. keep you safe for the duration of this flight. Like, she doesn't, she can act a bit robotic during this campaign. They probably feel like they don't have to do that much. They're probably being a bit complacent, to be honest. Because uh, maybe the last couple of weeks, they'll really go on the attack on Corbyn personally. You won't see anything like it mm. when it happens all about his RA and Hamas stuff. You'll it's get been that. overdone. See, Everyone knows. That. The last... The last week or two, they'll bring out Boris on like some assault. Uh, you know, With a World War One helmet on his head. They'll, 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 they'll drop him from some plane just over Labour HQ. He'll <laughs> forget to pull the parachute. Yeah. But still bounce off a wall and land on his feet because he's yeah. the luckiest he'll politician belly, in the world. He'll belly flop straight into the Thames. Whiff <laughs> <laughs> whaff. Like, fished out Bob of it. Bob <laughs> everywhere. Bob <laughs> pretty stupid though did you see you remember you know we were talking about boris johnson offending the sikhs yeah did you see what he was wearing as he was doing <laughs> this bright orange turban <laughs> <laughs> this boris johnson we've got to, we've got to stop the whole pandering <laughs> to every ethnic community thing because when when you see them wearing the turban and do, it's, it's, it's it's ridiculous but they, they don't really care you know, they're just doing whatever it's pandering in. that's what it's you feel cynical. like you know it's cynical they, they would literally do anything to appeal to people. Yeah. Uh, Tim Farron of Lib Dem... I was going to say fame, but that's not the right word. Tim Farron, Lib Dem leader. His campaign was killed dead by Kathy Newman of Channel 4 News. Metropolitan Remainers might like what they hear from you on Brexit, but what about social issues? I mean, take for an example, a while back I asked you whether it was true that you believed homosexuality was a sin... And you struggle to answer. Now you've had a while to He's consider. looking at her like, you bitch. What is the answer? <laughs> I struggle to answer at all, Cathy. I talked about the fact that I'm not in a position to go making theological pronouncements. And I can promise you one thing. You said we're next, all sinners. Over the next six weeks, um, you know, I'm not going to spend my time talking theology or making pronouncements. Well, but it, this, is, this is an important issue, no, though, for, your, is, for so, your voters. I mean, so I asked you three so times, did you think homosexuality so, was a sin? So let me ask. And, and, and you said... We're He's all looking sinners. angry now. 
Is that still the so, answer? So my, so my sense is, I, as, a, as a liberal, I'm passionate about equality, about equal marriage, about equal rights for LGBT people, for fighting not just for LGBT rights in this country, but overseas. But, you know, just because I'm a Christian, it would be a bit boring for everybody who spend the next six weeks asking me to make theological pronouncements. I am not planning to do so. Who's that laughing in the background? <laughs> but he, st- he still didn't answer the question. Well, no. You know, if you're going to... He should just lie. He should just lie and say, I've had a complete Damascene conversion. I've met a man, wonderful man named Raul <laughs> at the docks. Now, the Lib Dem strategy for this election is to be the second referendum party we oppose Brexit explicitly party, as opposed to Labour's we don't really know if we're for or against it or not. Do you guys think that was the right strategy for the Lib Dems, to make it all about Brexit? Well, yeah, they announced themselves saying that there was no chance that they were going to get into power. So They, they said were, that literally. Like. Well, it, it, more or less. <laughs> they, they know that they've got no chance of getting into power, but at the same time, they're promoting themselves as being this anti-Theresa May, anti-Brexit movement. And they've, they've put all their sort of wild cards down on the table already. Like you say, they've, they've thrown out the one, basically, if you're desperate to remain in Europe, you've, you've got to vote for us. You've got no other party. What are you going to do? Vote Green? Uh, uh, they've, had like a, they've long wanted to legalise cannabis, but now they've actually made it a real big deal. You know, so that's a real obvious thing. And similarly, they want to give the vote to like 16 year olds. So so if you're like young stoner, you know, vote for them. But yeah, I think they've put all their eggs into one basket, which is to say we are the official opposition because we explicitly oppose Brexit. At a time when people, the public, the electorate has become fatigued with talk about Brexit. Like everyone just even remain voters now. They just want the government to just get on with it, get it over with almost. Yeah, I think even a lot of Remain voters probably don't want to... Drag it out forever. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a sense of just kind of, as you said, get on with it and yeah, and that's the way I feel. So would you, you could technically be classed at least temporarily in this bracket of Remainers who would now want just to continue with the Brexit process? Relievers. Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. That's interesting because people are saying that might be quite a significant proportion of the people voting this time. For, for better or worse, get on with it, do you know what I mean? Like, like, I think Nick Clegg has lost a lot of clout with his just incessant whining about, oh, 350 million for the NHS. Where, where was the manifesto for leave? Where was leave's manifesto? Where was your manifesto? You promised a reformed EU. Where was your manifesto explaining how you were going to, do you know what I mean? Like, every argument he throws out there, you can do the old, I know it's a logical fallacy, you know, the two cock thing. Of like, well, oh, where's Lee's manifesto? Where was Remain's manifesto? I think he's actually frustrated a lot of people. I think everyone's a bit frustrated. Like, I'm, I'm still in two minds about who I'd vote for. Manifestos. This week was the week where the major party manifestos came out. Labour's and the Conservatives. Although Labour's uh, draft version of their manifesto was leaked the week before. Does anybody actually read manifestos anymore? No, I just listen to soundbites. On the radio, on LBC. Did I'm you the go- same, but I listen to Radio 4. They're a bit more highbrow. So I'm just better than you. <laughs> one doesn't just listen to Radio 4, one must soak it in. Whilst I'm brushing down my horse in my stable. <laughs> I'm birching my servant. <laughs> Did any of you read the manifestos? No. No. Where where'd you read a manifesto? 
online are they available yeah. at libraries and bus stops i tried to see <laughs> i tried to see i tried to see if you could actually purchase one like they obviously do print copies that they hand out to journalists when they have yeah, their yeah, big yeah, launch yeah. campaign but you can't actually just buy one you can only go online and get like a pdf although labor had some um raffle ticket they emailed me about saying if i donated money i think at least 15 pounds to the election campaign i'd be entered into a raffle for a signed copy of Corbyn's manifesto. Ooh, wow. Didn't say who it was signed by, though. <laughs> <laughs> if it's Diane Abbott, she can... Diane Abbott. Diane Abbott that. has drooled on this page. <laughs> I want that stone that Ed Miliband held all his... Uh, they found it somewhere. His promises a... chiseled into. Didn't they find it in a skip somewhere? No, it's, it's, it's in a restaurant in, in Chelsea now, in, in its garden. The heaviest suicide note in political history. The Ed Stone. So none of us really read the manifestos. I skim, I skim read it at work. I, sort of, I listen to the highlights. I go on instinct and sort of make my mind up months before the election's even called. <laughs> I just know who I who I who I'd like if there was an election tomorrow. I'd think this is who I'd vote for. I, you know, and they don't change much over time. I mean, that's pretty much in line. I think there was a YouGov poll that showed sixty percent of people don't read political manifestos. Most people go to their preferred news outlet to get their breakdown of what the manifestos are saying and their analysis of it so considering people don't actually really read manifestos and given how many u-turns the tory government have made in the last couple of years is it actually worth continuing with the practice of having manifestos there's no legal obligation to publish one it's it's a useful thing to have but it's not like a legally binding document the house of lords operates on the basis of if this is something that wasn't in the manifesto we have no qualms with blocking it. But if it was explicitly stated in the manifesto, we basically, we kind of, we're obligated to pass it. That's how the House of Lords works. I'd like to see the history of manifestos. I bet they're not that old. I bet it's more like a trend that just caught on. So they might, it might fade out of use again, like you say, because they know no one reads them. That's why they're so low on detail. Because, I mean, I skim read them at work, both, not all of them, just the Labour and the Tory one. What stood out abundantly from the Tory manifesto was that it was a really non-committal manifesto. Like they had, they left themselves a lot of outs, a lot of avenues to say, okay, actually, look, we didn't specify any sort of numbers or anything concrete in the manifesto. So we, they can walk away from their promises anytime they want, basically. Whereas the Labour manifesto did have numbers and commitments, actual commitments in it that you can hold them to account to. Have they made a misstep there? Should they have gone the Tory route? Well, they've sort of put it in black and white that they're going to tax everybody up to the eyeballs. No, 95% of employees are not going to have any sort of increase in their income tax. The top 5% already pay half of all the the fucking benefits. I always have to preface benefits with fucking, by the way. Such an (laughs) arsehole. Daily Mail reader. What a good good crossword. (laughs) Do you like Garfield? Do you like Garfield? (laughs) I like Garfield. Is that where you go to where first? Else, where else are you going to fucking read Garfield? Yeah. Fred Bassett, though, is, is shit. Don't... What, the hound? Yeah. Is he just, still going? It's just not funny. It's like, uh, oh, what's, why is my master holding a lead? Oh, oh we're going for a going... walk. <laughs> That's the whole cartoon. <laughs> Fred Bassett's fucking shit. <laughs> are the public right, then, to kind of ignore manifestos? Like, say, uh, we live in the zeitgeist right now where... It's accepted that circumstances on the ground change very rapidly. So being tied down to a document that you wrote six, seven months ago, say, like maybe that's not the best idea. Maybe you need to be a little bit more flexible and fluid. 
Well, the ideal manifesto would say that, wouldn't it? This is what we're going to do, but you know, guys. Maybe not. I think the difference is for the Conservatives, it's more about saying, yeah, you know what we are, we know what we're going to do, we're going to carry on doing it. While I think for Labour, they really had to set out their stall. Yeah. Because people are like, this guy's like a communist, isn't he? I mean, what's he going to do? Labour have got this hurdle to clear. Yeah, well, they have to actually set out what they're going to do. Because had... people are a bit like, okay, what's this Jeremy Corbyn really about? He sort of talks a very left-wing all the, game. All the public scene from Labour is infighting for the last yeah. two years. Now, why do the public like Theresa May more than they like Jeremy Corbyn? She's giving them Brexit. Is that all? Uh, That's only half the people. I think they see her as more strong and stable than him. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why. That just popped into my head. Is Theresa May even really naturally likable? No. She has no... It's not that she's unlikable, but she has no charisma whatsoever, I think. Which is odd, though. Why is she like them? I I, I don't know. (laughs) I think she's quite good at, like, probably organising people, and she's quite good at... You know, she's a real fighter. I liked her for getting rid of the Cameroons. Cameroons. She kicked out the Bullingdon Club boys from the cabinet, except for Bosch Johnson. Yeah, but he was there to sort of pay attrition for, for how he destroyed the country. <laughs> to atone. Yeah, exactly. Because, <laughs> I mean, she's recognised... She is popular with the electorate. Is she? Pretty much. But the Tory party are not very popular with the electorate at all. Now, a lot was made about these TV debates between the party leaders... I personally cannot stand the idea of these TV debates. It's like presidential politics, which is not what we do. We're a party. Well, did you watch um, a couple of nights ago the alternative debate where you had played Cymru, the SNP, UKIP, the Greens and the Liberals? You say alternative. It was like the default debate. All five of them, basically everyone apart from Labour and Conservatives on ITV, they had a debate. I watched the last half of it. It was mind-numbing. Mm-hmm. Basically, whenever the, U- the UKIP guy spoke, they all spoke over... Oh, Paul Nuttall. So he didn't really say anything. Everything he did say was rubbish anyway, but he didn't really get a chance to speak. So it was a waste of time. I think Theresa May was right to say, I'm not going to do the TV debates, but she said it for completely the wrong reasons. The only reason she's not doing the TV debate is she wants to run from the Tory party record of the last two years. Jeremy Corbyn, likewise, no-showed. I think he probably made the right decision there because the, uh, the, the remainder of the party leaders. They look like second rate. Do you know what I mean? They look like they weren't big enough and cool enough to turn it down. They looked inferior. But I didn't watch it. I'm saying that I didn't watch it. <laughs> none, none of them came off very well from it. It's even Tim Farron, who you'd think would be like a sort of much bigger, bigger draw. But, you know, he's, he's no Nick Clegg, is he? And I can't stand fucking Nick Clegg. Now, have you noticed lately that right-wing pundits and political commentators are becoming really popular these days. Like I went to a, um, a spectator event, a hundred days of Trump and Piers Morgan was there. Now Piers Morgan, he was getting applause breaks, cheers. He was getting the biggest laughs. I couldn't believe it. Was he any good? I mean, he's kind of funny. Yeah. But another one who's normally massively unpopular, who's uh, been raising his profile lately is uh, Peter Hitchens. Yeah. And some rear his ugly head. He was on question time last week. And he basically summed up the Tory party record. Can we start this record ever? It's, it's not true. This country is £1.5 trillion pounds in debt, yeah. Yes, which, is, which it wasn't when you took over. There has been no increase in productivity. There has been no increase substantially in exports. Uh, the, the, there has been instead an enormous increase in immigration, a vast number of low-wage jobs. We are, we, all they've done is they've created a low-wage economy and a lot of statistics and a lot of borrowed money. And to, and to proclaim this as an economic triumph is particularly responsible because when the election's over, 
They'll be back to you again saying, hey, look, things are really terrible and we're going to have to introduce all kinds of tax rises and spending cuts we never mentioned before. Now they're saying it's a triumph. In six months' time, they'll be admitting what it really is. Yes. 1.5 trillion. Yes. National debt is incredible. Do we agree with Peter Hitchens? I'm really surprised, but I actually agree with a few things he said there. We are a low-wage economy, for yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I agree with him on that, definitely. And Tories are proposing that we also be a low-tax economy. I mean, we, we already pretty much are amongst the developed countries. We're a low-tax haven yeah, already. Our corporation tax is fairly low. Yeah, the Tories want to put it down from, what is it? I think it's like 20 now to down to 17%. Mm. But, I think the thing is about him, he is a very intelligent guy. I mean, yeah, I disagree with 90% of what he was saying, but he was criticising, obviously, the Conservative government, and obviously there's a lot of overlap. For me, this election, we went into this thinking it was all going to be about Brexit, and it doesn't really seem to be about Brexit at all. It seems to be more about what Peter Hitchens was alluding to there, that everything's a bit of a sham, and that even though, say, like, we've got, right now we've got record low unemployment, yet simultaneously the number of people using food banks is going up, Homelessness in the capitals doubled over the last five years. Wages have been completely stagnant. Meanwhile, rents and house prices have shot up. Like, something doesn't add up here. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's really what's coming through in this election, is that the idea that we've become a really unfair, unjust... Maybe what you were saying earlier, Tim, about Labour having a chance, that, to me, I see that's their avenue in, is to form this narrative between now and June 8th, that we've become a really unfair society... Thanks to the Tories. Well, looking at the big picture, and not only has the gap between rich and poor gotten huger and huger, um, I, saw, I saw an interesting video the other day about the top 10 richest families in the world. And basically, the, the first family had more money than the last nine combined <laughs> in the top 10. So you talk about the 1%. There's actually the 1% of the 1%. <laughs> you know, um, so the, the, the wage in, the, the inequality between rich and poor is actually growing and growing and growing. But the thing Tom was talking to me a couple of weeks ago was just talking about um, eventually in the future, robots are going to replace everybody for jobs. And eventually um, the average person just won't be economically viable. So the way it's going, maybe this Labour thing is, is like a sort of reflex. A pushback. A pushback. But I, I can see a long trend going over the years of... There is a gulf happening in society. It's almost becoming a divergent society where you've got like the super high tech, super rich elite going one way. And I think democracy is not going to survive this century. By the year 2101, there aren't going to be any functioning democracies left in the world. It's all going to be technocracies where experts, where it's going to be like AI yeah. is making decisions, right? Let, and let the rich Siri people, decide. <laughs> but before that happens, the rich people, they're not going to kill us off. They're just going to construct their own walled off cities where robots cater to their every whim and so we're not the, yeah. the plebs yeah. we're not necessary at all and we're just outside banging on the walls it's like, like that movie with like, matt damon Elis oh, Elisium. Elisium? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah very apt that's what it's gonna be like yeah. what, what was it the ceo of tesla said i can't remember what his name elon is. musk yeah he said actually that his take on you know robots and ai taking over is actually it's going to force governments to pay out like a guaranteed minimum income to everyone and be the only way yeah like a universal income they'll be the only way to sort of stop people rioting maybe no. go that way well you just starve just stay at home and and 15k a year for doing nothing i can't be bothered to go through like the manifestos it would take forever and basically we're ignorant philistines anyway so it's not like we're going to make any fucking sense of it how are we intending to are we all intending to vote in the general election ask that first Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
I've got my oh, pencil ready. Are we going to reveal here and now? Let's, because we can it's always change se- our minds. Yeah, think, true. It's a, it's a secret a ballot. Yeah. Cameron's voting Tory. <laughs> <laughs> what did he indicate that with the special Tory hand signal? <laughs> he said something about respecting privacy. Something <laughs> <laughs> about a strong, stable that was government. That dirty, dirty secret. Now, I don't like <laughs> Theresa May and her... She's going to, like, ban porn or something. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa, whoa. Mm, yeah. She's going to ban the internet. throttle the internet, yeah. She's going to delete the internet for the UK and start a new one. <laughs> we'll basically all have CFAX again. <laughs> like pixelated boobs. But it's just the whole internet she wants to control, basically. She wants, wants to get rid of net neutrality, yeah. Which won't go down very well, because we're all netizens now. Basically, it, it's like corporatizing yeah. the internet. So for that reason, I'm not going to vote for her. You're not on Team May? No. Is it a Labour vote then? No, of course not. <laughs> you said you said you were going to vote Jeremy Corbyn and never work again. Well, like I, yeah. <laughs> if 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 Labour get in, you'd be an, a mug to pay taxes and keep working. <laughs> that's that's crazy. You'd be a mug. I already said that ninety five percent of people aren't going to pay any more tax. Well, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Why would you suddenly go, oh, that's, I'm not paying taxes I also, now. I also said the top, the top 5% pay half of all the benefits. So like, yeah, fuck it. That, they, they, can, they can afford one more. You know, if I say I'm... Yeah, but if the other 50% isn't there anymore, if everyone does what you're doing <laughs> yeah. and not pay taxes anymore... Exactly. That's what's going to happen. That's what's well, going to happen. How are you going to live? No, no. And the other thing is, like, we all listen to Diane, Ab- Diane Abbott's interview. If you vote for Labour, you're willfully saying that you want that woman as your <laughs> Home Secretary. Making that's decisions. looking at one yeah, very yeah. small example. Okay, well, let's look at who you'd want as your Education Secretary, that woman who didn't even know how many pupils there were in the country. Angela Rayner, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, like, I kind of like the idea that, actually, I'm hopeful that if Corbyn did form a government, the first thing he'd do would be knife Diane Abbott in the back and just go, listen, you're surplus to requirements. I only needed you to get here. You're toxic. Um, so who are you going to vote for then, Tim? UKIP. If, 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 if they're Ooh, doing... If you're they're a doing, racist. You van driver. Do you know, when everyone started calling me a racist, when I was like... And you voted UKIP. Like jokes. <laughs> I was like, Brexit and UKIP. And like people just said it so much. I just thought I'm just going to run with it now. You're Frankenstein's monster. No, I'm voting for UKIP because it, in a way it's like it is still a protest vote. I'm still protesting. I'm still wanting to leave Europe and I want at least one voice in Parliament from a party that has that as its sole aim. I think UKIP are dead. I mean, you might find when you go into your voting booth, there isn't a UKIP no, candidate. No, exactly. They're, they're, they're running half as many this yeah, time. They're dead. If there's Monster Raving Looney Party, I'll vote for them or like Rainbow Alliance chicken a party there's always like these crazy ones anthony moving on moving to you labor or, or green uh, i don't know i voted greens before but i'll probably vote labor this time around so you're what? tory so cameron's tory cameron's tory anthony's you're, labor you're labor i'm ukip i'm probably gonna vote labor as well if i yeah, vote yeah, yeah. Yeah. you'll vote for dan abbott okay. no i'm thinking they're not gonna win anyway but no but based on that labor are gonna win do you know what i, I voted leave thinking that was gonna happen you might be right. Yeah. <laughs> you might end up with yeah. Diane Abbott. Yeah. Trump. Home Secretary. Corbyn will be the UK's Trump. <laughs> but, I mean, the general reason why I generally vote Labour, because I know uh, you got quite angry with me on Facebook, Tim. Yeah. About a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. You're going to vote Labour, aren't you, Tom? No, no. It was, you're going to vote Labour, aren't you, Tom? Angry face. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't like that. Was, I think it was a fiery, angry emoji. <laughs> yeah. With yeah. the rage of a thousand suns. Yeah. The general reason. It's just the willful recklessness of wanting to put... You know, I'd rather have evil... Ge- I'd, I'd rather have evil geniuses than 
benevolent idiots who were doing high-level negotiations with these European bastards. Don't get me wrong. I think right now, pound for pound... trying to screw us. Right now, pound for pound, I think the Tories are more intelligent than Labour. Pound for pound, right? They don't or just be nice people. Or what do you mean? Like they'd be better at negotiating. They don't have to be nice people. Just they're quicker on their feet just than most Labour better. MPs. I'm sorry. I, I think I'm. I'm not being horrible, but I think you guys vote Labour for moral reasons, for emotional <laughs> reasons. <laughs> but the reason I generally vote Labour is, you know how it's uh, it's become kind of commonly accepted that there's no real difference between Labour and the Tories. They're two sides of the same coin. I think there's a small band of people, relatively small maybe like even only like six seven hundred thousand people in this country that it does actually make a genuine difference to like it is a significant real world difference between having a labor government and having a tory government the tories are just lacking in compassion and that's that's what i want i want a government that's just a little bit more compassionate but you're not too compassionate but not too drippy don't want the greens enough depressing talk about what could be a potentially exciting election but probably won't be i hope it's boring it's time for movie talk and ridley scott's latest attempt to reboot the alien franchise of course i'm talking about alien covenant you've all sacrificed so much to be here and be a part of this thing we're doing this crew is made up of couples the first ever large-scale colonization mission and everyone back on earth is really grateful for your hard work and your courage we're making history here this is wheat what are the odds of finding human vegetation this far from earth who planted it You hear that? What? Nothing. No birds. No animals. Nothing. So, directed by Ridley Scott, star who obviously directed Prometheus and the very first Alien film, and also Blade Runner, which may become relevant later, but starring Michael Fassbender, twice, double Fassbender, first as David and then Walter, and an uh, actress I've never heard of before. Catherine Waterston. Guy Pearce makes a return as Peter Wayland. And surprisingly, Danny McBride, who's like a comic actor. He usually plays like a retard, like a southern retard, you know what I mean? Now, this time around, so in the first Alien movie, they were just like space truckers of some sort. In the second James Cameron sequel, it's all about space marines. In the third movie, they're all prisoners. In the fourth movie, what are they, like drug smugglers or something like that? Yeah, there's some kind of like outlaw. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like pirates. And then in this movie, they're colonists. You might have noticed there in the beginning of the trailer, they mentioned that they're all married couples. Now, this to me is the kind of first red flag about this film. Really? Like to give my kind of capsule review. I was really looking forward to this film. I didn't Initially, I didn't like Prometheus the first time I watched it. The second time I watched it, I liked it a bit more. And I was kind of looking forward to where Ridley Scott took the story in terms of um, 
we know who created humans now, the engineers, but it's never answered. It, did, it raised the question, why did they come to the conclusion that humans have to die, right? And I was hoping Alien Covenant, the sequel, was going to answer that question, and it doesn't. And that's what, I, that's what I found this movie to be, like, really dissatisfying. I walked out of it, not angry or upset, but just kind of indifferent to the experience. How did you guys find it? Well, I thought, I thought the difference between that and Prometheus was, I think there was almost the acknowledgement that the, one of the problems with Prometheus was it threw up all these different questions, like some philosophical and another more plot points, and it didn't answer half of them. And that's no. one of the reasons people didn't like Prometheus. So I think now what they did is they kind of chose their little their battles. They chose a few little points that they could wrap up a bit yeah. to kind of actually make Prometheus even seem a little bit better in a way a little more coherent more coherent yeah and all the sort of philosophical questions that it it decided to ask it actually had an answer to as well so you know it was frustrating but it was definitely a lot less frustrating than prometheus i found it a little bit intelligent like insulting to one's intelligence which parts just the fact like almost all of the dialogue was really explicit in how expository it was. Yeah, that's true. It was literally, sometimes there were some scenes where characters were just describing the plot. They weren't really characters in and of themselves that you actually cared for. They had their own motivations and their own desires. They just seemed like plot devices. So say, uh, for instance, take Catherine Waterston, who plays Daniels, right? Now, my first gripe with this film is that you're, it's not clear who the actual lead protagonist is. Yeah. At some points in the movie, the movie starts with a scene between Guy Pearce and Michael Fassbender. Now, Guy Pearce is Peter Wayland, who created the synthetic androids. And the very first one was Michael Fassbender, David, right? So you think the lead protagonist, the main character in this movie is David. But then you jump to the spaceship and you've got Catherine Waterston's character, Daniels. And she is, do you remember we were talking on an earlier podcast, talking about movies, about intertextualization? Yeah. Where it's the movie is making callbacks to earlier films in the franchise in the hopes of trying to make you think, oh yeah, I remember that old film. I really like that yeah, old film. Yeah, it's trying film. to trigger like an emotional reaction almost. like To try and get you to like, like a this shortcut. film yeah. by reminding you how much you like the earlier films, right? Her entire character, the, the whole purpose of her character is to make you think of Sigourney Weaver's Ripley. She looks a little bit like Sigourney Weaver's Ripley and she wears similar clothing. She runs around with the machine gun through the spaceship. And also Elizabeth Shaw, who was the sole survivor of Prometheus. She looks a bit like her as well. She doesn't even really have her own desires in this movie. Do you know what I mean? She's like not a real person. No, I agree. She's like a mishmash. And actually in the scene that you, towards the end where she jumps out on the, without going spoiling or jumping ahead when she does have to indulge in an action scene it seems really like wait a minute this character why is she doing this she's not at any point sort of taking the lead in that she suddenly goes like give me a gun and it just felt really fake because uh they're these space colonists right so the ship's on its way to an earth-like planet it gets hit with a solar flare so they have to make like an emergency stop they come out of cryostasis prematurely now catherine waterson's husband because the little plot twist here is that they're all couples And I think the reason they did that is because whoever wrote the script, I think, realized halfway through, there's no reason for the audience to actually give a shit about any of these characters. So when these characters start dying off one by one, the audience isn't going to care. And so I think they tried to do a cheap little trick by going, okay, do you know what? Each time one of our characters dies, that means their husband or their wife, like they just got widowed. Yeah. And you've got like the 
additional emotion of the fact oh my god they just lost their loved one they're like it was like done too quickly too cheaply it didn't work you don't care yeah, you know it's I mean? true. No, I agree with you. I think that's absolutely correct because, and they don't settle on it as well. It literally, you, people get over the fact that their, their spouse yeah. has died like the next Within scene. Within seconds. <laughs> uh, also, Danny McBride's character is also just the most foolhardy person possibly in the ever of history of cinema. Reckless. Yeah, he basically but, nearly risks like 12,000 people's lives to, just to, to save his wife. The movie never made you care in the first place. No, I agree. So, I think I agree. I think the problem is that you didn't spend enough time with any of the characters before you get into the action, and therefore you don't really care about them. One difference between this new alien movie and ones that came before it, the the violence is a lot more gory. It's a lot more explicit. Do you know what I mean? It's quite shocking as well. Some parts, yeah. Yeah, like not just in the terms of gore, but it's just like I think the speed and the way it's shot actually kind of maybe almost jump. It's, it's sudden. It's sudden, yeah. And a lot of things like come out of people's mouths in this one I've noticed. There's a point where it's given away in the trailer. You see the quote backburster where an alien bursts out of a guy's back. There's another point in the film where um, someone else has been, what do you call like, uh, he's gestating mm. another new neomorph or xenomorph or what have you, right? And uh, he's lying on his back. So the alien technically can't burst out of its back because otherwise it would be like bursting into the dirt. I don't know. And so instead he vomits it out. Like, yeah, it was quite... That was, that was a good shot. Yeah, there was, it, it managed to do that. There were several scenes that made me actually uncomfortable in my seat. And, the film, and I'm quite grizzled when it comes to movie violence. From a technical point of view, the film is really well made. However, it's lit down by the fact you don't care about the characters at all. No time is spent on characterization and allowing the audience the time to actually start caring for the characters before they start dying. And it's also lit down by the dialogue is incredibly boring. I was actually bored watching this movie. I just think, in general, prequels are a, a, a pretty bad way to go with films. They, they're they're sort of dead ended in their own way because um, you know certain things have to happen. Yeah, it's like the whole Star Wars problem as well, isn't it? So yeah, it tells a story that you didn't. Yeah, really you don't need about. to know. At the end of the day, every story has a beginning, and you can just accept that. You don't have to go. Well, I, I want to know the story of how you know yeah. Anakin went bad. Well, actually, I want to know how the story of Anakin's birth. Actually, I want to know the story of. It's less important how the iconic black exoskeleton xenomorph was made than it is like how do humans deal with this the threat that these aliens pose and there you've also got the kind of built-in thing with um i think parasites weren't really well known about back in 1979 the idea of an alien organism gestating inside you do you know what i mean and like living off of your yeah vitality right and i think people were kind of innately scared by the the idea of a parasite an alien explored that and then in these movies, it's just like, okay, let's go through the history of how this alien got made. I do think that actually Michael Fassbender definitely elevated this. Good actor, I think yeah. The character as well of David and some of the philosophical implications were, were, were probably the more intelligent parts of the movie. I mean, he was the only character that was intelligent. Everyone else was a complete idiot. He, he was a little bit two dumb. Two characters in this yeah. yeah. It was a little bit dumb. It was legit good twin, evil twin. Yeah. They have a really weird fight at one point as well. 
oh, that's what that was the point of the film that I actually thought it went off the rails and I stopped oh, really? caring completely. It was a bit of a weird fight scene. It didn't really fit in with an alien movie, kung yeah, fu fight no. scene. Yeah. It also like, felt a bit weird. Like, do you think one or two robots fight? It would just be very much like over in like a second. This was I said earlier that it was kind of insulting to the intelligence spoilers although not really like i said it's it's set up in the trailer that there's a good david there's a good michael fassbender and an evil michael fassbender and there's a point in the film where the film tries to make it ambiguous of which twin is michael fassbender right now is he the good twin or the evil twin and the thing is it's so fucking painfully obvious no one in the audience was tricked yeah it was fairly obvious Descending into sea level. K-13. C-61. Open airlock 17. We're going in. K-12. Secure. This movie relied on a lot of the tropes that were established in the first, well, pretty much the first two Alien movies, especially... The fact of um, you've got a big spaceship in orbit and then a smaller spaceship goes down to the surface. And you know in an alien film that at some point the xenomorph on the surface of the planet is going to end up on the big spaceship in orbit. And so with Alien Covenant, that trope occurs. And I don't think it actually made it clear how the alien got on board. But like I said, it doesn't really matter. You you saw it coming. You knew the xenomorph was going to be there. Yeah, and you knew. Have to Even if you watch the trailer, you see that there's a xenomorph on board the spaceship. I mean, when they get back to the big spaceship and they think it's all over. You know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, but I think it came now. in. It was one of the people that got a face hugger. It's yeah. I mean, it's, it doesn't matter really. You knew they you had know... no quarantine procedure anyway. Let's face it. A lot of plot holes here. Like at least in the first Alien movie, and one of the things that immediately distinguishing Ripley as a character, she's not like. A hero in the classical sense she's just a scientist she's like she? the rational person in the room it's like so okay someone's gone out there they've had That's something it. laid in on them she's just don't a let pi- them in the ship she's just a pilot right yeah i think she's I like think i think beginning. she's like a co-pilot or something, something like that, yeah. she's not even ranked very high but she's not a retard either no she's the only person there that actually doesn't fall for sentimentality and says look you can't let him in he could have something yeah. and nobody listens to her she gets overridden completely in this movie there's actually a line right where a guy gets infected and uh, one of the characters says the line, oh, is this, is this a quarantine situation? And someone goes, no. Somebody answered no. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking? You're on an alien planet that you've never stepped foot on before. Of course it's a quarantine situation. I'm amazed you're not wearing space helmets right now. And the weird thing is almost that same character then seals a woman inside a room with someone. Yeah, she panics. So pretty much condemns her to die and then lets the creature out anyway. Well, I'm not hearing a lot of praise from you guys. I, I don't know. The more I'm talking about, the more I dislike it. Mostly actually. criticism. I think it was. I think it was, was abuse. It was a it, visually. It was a nice film, and I liked a lot of the scenes with Michael Fassbender. And I thought there were some things that it did, and maybe about the idea of being a creator. As the, I thought there was some interesting stuff there. But I agree with you. The characterization really let it down. I'll be honest. I've never given a shit about Wayland the man. No, like the Wayland Corporation in the first two films. It was just a symbol of unfettered, unethical, laissez-faire capitalism, right? You didn't really need to know who Wayland was. It didn't matter. And then Prometheus obviously tried to make Wayland central to the plot. And it's like, who cares? Mm. I don't need to know that he's a piece of shit that wants to live forever or what have you. 
It's just he represents capitalism, militaristic, all-conquering sort of capitalism, right? Yeah, I do like the initial scene. Actually, the first scene was quite was probably one of the better film uh, scenes in the in the film where David is talking yeah. for the first time. To yeah, his and he's creator. talking to him, and then basically David turns around and basically says, "Well, you know, uh, I'm going to live basically forever. You're, you're not. Yeah. You're not like how are you really like my creator, my God." And Guy Pierce's reaction is. Can you pour the tea for me? Tries to put him in his place. A Which bit. is, you know, the tea is right next to Guy Pierce, and David's at the end of the room. It's just this immediate thing of, yeah, you're my bitch, basically. Like, yeah. And obviously that was, um, it relied too much on the established tropes from the first two films. And so when you're watching Alien Covenant, you just feel like, I've seen this movie. Like, yeah. I mean, there are even, it's kind of almost beat for beat the same scenes but well, i do agree with you i think if you break down the movie some of the initial scenes are very much like alien so it's in textualization but all the way through because the first bit is very much like alien it's them on the ship they come out their cryoski which then, is kind of like prometheus well, which is then they go down to the planet they've all got yep. guns they almost look like marines that's when it becomes a bit like aliens then it becomes aliens then they're stuck in some kind of like depressing almost primitive place which is very dark which is actually just like alien three yeah and then, you know, the rest is just, I don't know, a mashup of the later ones. It felt like they were giving you a tour of the whole franchise. It was too self-referential. Yeah. There was a bit that was, I know, meant to be quite epic, but I actually found really funny. When he tricks that guy, who's the biggest idiot in the world, to, to having a face hugger. Yeah, he literally yeah, yeah, goes yeah. to this guy and goes, hey, follow me. And by now you already know that David is sinister. The guy that's going with him knows that David is sinister. And he goes, look at that thing. And you see, like, the it's, face hugger pulsating. You know, and he, the pod. Yeah. yeah, and he keeps looking in it. Anyway. He tells him. He explicitly says yeah. to him, put your face over yeah. the pod, and he and, does. I know. It was bizarre <laughs> that the guy did that. But then after the... Oh, and also, how quickly did the alien come out of his chest? In it about was like five 10 minutes. minutes. Yeah. yeah. But did you not find it slightly hilarious of when the face hugger bursts out, Michael Fassbender puts his hands up in the air like that, and the little <laughs> little xenomorph puts his hands yeah. up in the air as well. you sure about this captain how do you mean we don't know what the fuck's out there I think that's why I found this movie really disappointing. Do you remember when Alien and Aliens were the only two alien films? Yeah. And you had what was then called the space jockey, the giant yeah. pilot. Yeah, who's in the, the thing. Yeah, yeah, of the derelict spaceship and how beautiful it was, how mysterious it was, hmm. and how you know, aptly alien the surroundings were. All of the mystery mythology around, all of, that's all gone now. We know who they are. We know how they died. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's no mystery to it anymore. I think the problem is, is like, when you create, when you throw that race in, you need to really give that rich history, but you know nothing of them. But no. it's, it's not, they're not even an original creature. It's like, well, okay, what do they look like? Well, they're like humans, but yeah. they're bigger and they don't have hair and they, they don't, don't have really an antidote talk. for their own weapon that they created. They don't say anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I would sum up, the movie is boring. The dialogue is just completely unimaginative. You don't care about the characters in any way, shape, or form. However, to say some positives, visually very good-looking film. Ridley Scott does make 
believable universes that you can immerse yourself in. But like I say, this film is lit down by poor dialogue, poor characterization, poor plot overall that insults your intelligence. And the fact that it didn't really, it was a story that no one really cared to know about anyway. Pretty much, yeah. But if you do want to see Michael Fassbender kiss Michael Fassbender... Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, to follow us on SoundCloud, to like us on Facebook. Until next time, bye. Bye. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Say bye. Bye.